Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph Moore's wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today is part two of two of my interview with David Owens. It's not so much an interview as a recording of something that we did in a members-only call with people who are part of the Equippers Lab. David has had a really interesting life. He's grown up neighbors with Francis Schaefer and Labrie, actually family friends, turned against God as a young man, ends up in Australia working in an airline, leads a bunch of gay people, some promiscuous women to Christ, starts a church among them. Very good things happened there. His journey took him all the way from Australia to Vancouver, B.C., and then on to Tanzania, where he pastors today. This is one of the most fruitful recordings that we've ever done. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. God bless. Where we're at now, where this what's happening on Sundays is, is starting to bleed over, and we are looking at um, a, a developing this as a center, and half of our buildings are being built already before, before this thing is even being fully birthed. Um, a, a center for people to come wherever they're at in their journeys, either as atheists or, you know, if it's an apologetics uh, thing, it's, it's a place to come and hang and listen. Uh, we've got the academic stream in there, but we're trying to take the academic content. If it's, if it's important enough to be in our academic course, then surely it's important enough for the church community to, to take advantage of. So we're, we're trying to make the academic as, as practical and as um, holistic as possible. Our approach to, um, uh, to poverty is through Thrive Garden. It's an eco-friendly way of, uh, it isn't just to develop, uh, to provide successful crops, but it's actually what crops are you growing so that you have healthy bodies. You can be as fat as all get out, but be dying early because of what you're eating. Uh, actually, we've got a, a full-time mentor who's come in and he's going through through the country, training communities and churches to do this. And so it, it, it provides good food, uh, enough for the family in, um, with this small patch, as well as enough to, to sell and create enough income to, to survive on. Missionally, I think our home groups, our journey groups that we hold during the week, are, are, uh, we use the Discovery Bible Study model that before the Sunday sermon. So they'll have already engaged with that, but we're encouraging them to say, look, guys, this is stuff. This is a model to take into your workplaces. You can start these small groups with, you know, find somebody who's interested. And that has been an uphill battle. That's one of the things that where everything else is just wonderful. We're not seeing a multiplication of these small groups yet, but uh, on the larger scene, I, you know, you know that um, St. Vincent de Paul prophesied that Christianity, the center of Christianity, would move from the from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. I think that was 1560 that he prophesied that, which is ridiculous. And I think we're seeing that here. I think there is there's there's amazing things happening, especially in the DMM movements in the tougher parts of Africa. We're seeing massive growth and conversion and evangelism. And 
what we're doing with this uh, vineyard school of ministry model, uh, take the vineyard out of it, school of ministry in African theology and holistic ministry. We see this as, as such a wonderful instrument that could be used in the West, reaching the diaspora, the African diaspora, but also the West, Western Christians, because Africa has got so much to offer. And it's, you know, when you study, when you read the Bible next to an African and get them to share what they see, it's fascinating. You know, we're so two-dimensional in, in our Western theology. And it's like putting 3D glasses on when you, you read through their eyes. But we're just here to steward what is already here and maybe address the dysfunctional stuff just is going to uh, get in the way of what God is wanting to do through this continent into the rest of the world. How would you compare what you just described to us to the Labrie that was just over the hill from you in Switzerland? I, I, I think Labrie, again, what is, is, is a, a wonderful seed. I think it's, uh, it is a direct, what we're doing in church, not just in the church community, but in, on a Sunday morning is saying, guys, if you've got a question, wrestle with it, let it out. Let's, let's talk it through. Because African education, certainly in Tanzania, pardon me, and I know that it's true but elsewhere, is that the teachers are some of the lowest paid people in the, in the community because of, of the poverty that government schools are not well funded. And so you'll have anything up to 100 people in a class, kids in a class. And they are taught not to ask questions. If you ask a question, that implies that the teacher has not been, done a good job. And so kids will literally be hit wow. for asking for clarification. Wow. So that's what we're dealing with, with these adults. So I think this generation is kind of breaking the mold. I think so. Because of technology, past generations had tried to break the mold. They did see what was wrong, but culture was too pervasive for them to really make a big difference. And I, I think this generation is having a better shot. There's no such thing as a stupid question, as people say, but I, I think I disagree. Um, that it, If it's an authentic question, there's no such thing as a stupid question. But we're inviting people with their heart. Why, you know, is Jesus really God? Um, how, could, how could Jesus turn water into wine when wine is sinful. You know, all of these things actually are, are ignored by people because they don't want to sound stupid. And yet they can be catalytic. Just the wine issue can be catalytic. You know, it just doesn't make sense. You know, if, if wine is sinful, why would Jesus do that? And so we will argue that it's grape juice, but there's something in them. They know better. It's probably not grape juice because there was a question about the quality and, you know, they probably wouldn't have, would have noticed the difference in quality if it was just good juice. Um, you know, so, so the beauty of this is coming and saying, guys, ask if you want to know why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. There, there, there are good reasons that, that are not just rules. There are, let's, let's unpack this stuff. This book that we've got here is amazing. And then the bi other big thing that we're, we're breaking down is the whole hierarchical thing. The, you know, the, the pastor is next to God and the rest of them are lucky if they make it into heaven. <laughs> and yet pastors left, right, and center are living double lives and getting away with it. And so, yeah, the Labrie thing is come and ask your question. Uh, if we don't, and, and we may not have an answer for you. Now that blows people's minds. What? You know, we can't tell people to ask us questions as Christians, if, especially if they're not Christians, that we don't know. We have to have an answer. 
Otherwise, that reflects bad on the body of Christ, and and that's a that's a problem, especially in the West now, isn't there? I mean, anything goes. There's no no absolute truth, and all that. So if there's no absolute truth, then how are you going to bring correction? How are you going to bring even direction? It's it's hard now. You're not allowed to you know determine your kids' futures gender wise and all this kind of stuff that is kind of wild, just crazy. The grace and truth thing is is so clear, and the, and when you see Jesus and his dealings with people. I think that is so we just go back to the the Bible whenever people are kind of like okay what do you mean is it and you know Paul and his his letters I mean he comes out firing you know he's just hand a guy hand him over to satan you know for the destruction of his flesh so he'll come around mm. to his senses you know throw him out of the church do this that, and the other there's that has happened in fact um that's happened to us in in our years here we've had to ask people to leave mm. uh tell tell people to leave um some but what has been fascinating for me is when i brought direction a uh, correction to people in the west i i was pretty much resigned to the fact i'd never see them again africans that i I've had to correct. Oh, you know, not just Africans. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of like four or five cases, four or five k five cases of serious correction I had to bring, and that's even to missionaries. Um, one left and did not come back, and and that was an African guy. He was my right hand man. It was the toughest thing out, and over it was over the most ridiculous thing. It was that he needed to take care of his family. That was a, an issue that was you know, and Timothy, and it just, we just drew the line, and a very gifted, older gentleman, and, his, and this is like three, four, three years ago, and his wife and kids are still coming. She was a, you know, a leader. So that's amazing that she would come, and this is, and still in a loving marriage with him. She was saying, he is not, even the kids. But these other people that I had to serious, to step down for ministry positions, they stayed in. I mean, that's mind-blowing and very rewarding. So I'm, I'm excited about the, the caliber of African Christians that I'm dealing with and their future influence in Western environments, whether they actually go to the West or not. You don't have to nowadays because of what we're doing today, you know, on Zoom and that. And, and business is largely a huge amount of um, meetings and technology. Sorry, I kind of kind of went off a little bit there, but I, I think that's where the, you know, the correction, people know they will get correct. So somebody came in and made the comment in, in, a, in a, on a Sunday morning. Oh, so you can get away with sex here in this church. And a couple of people overheard her. A couple of other young people went, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Mama, you God, she, and that's my wife, will be on your tail in a second. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm the nice guy. I'm a pastor. I'm a type nine, whatever. Uh, my wife's a, a pure eight. You know, I, I, I pastor people. I care. I, I'm very strong, though, you know, when you cross the line. Uh, a lot of grace to the line. But when crisis hits, they go to her. She's the person that they go to. And I go, what? <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. I love it. I'm not a good, I'm not a good preacher. I'm, I don't love doing pre because I'm very ADD and dyslexic. So I preparing a just a, a message just a, a three-point sermon is a nightmare for me so i've had to work with this and i just loved the idea when i saw the apostle i don't know if you guys saw that film years mm-hmm. ago in it there, there's this tag team preaching and i just went i like that i i love this so i've used that uh, a bit in fact now we will have talking we'll have 
two or three people that we'll be going, we'll have met during the week, we'll be wrestling through the material. And at the moment, we're going through the various sectors. Uh, what does the gospel look like? What does kingdom look like in the business sector, in the education sector, in the, in the medical sector, and that? And we're just kind of, what are the basic, generic kingdom of God? What are the specifics of that? And how might that be addressed in uh, as as followers of Jesus, what does kingdom look like? Let's look at that so that we're not constantly waiting for something that is already turning up, and we're not we're not recognizing and aligning ourselves with it. So those kinds of things. So we have teaching as well as story that comes through these people's lives. That is one way that that we're we're getting more traction with these values and priorities because. Because it's no longer a culture. I've had people in terms of when we're bringing correction this one time, the guy said, well, in our culture, we don't do this. You know, he was he was one of our worship leaders. And and uh, uh, I asked him if he was having sex with this girl that that a, a neighbor had come and told us about. And he, he told us that this relationship was over. And he said, no. And I said, well, your neighbor visited our church last week and saw you up there and said, oh, it must be okay for blah, blah, blah. And and he said, uh, he said, well, it is true. And I said, well, why did you lie to me? So I lied to you because you have no business asking me those questions according to our culture. So I, I went from type nine to a type A very quickly and uh, said, don't you, have, don't you dare pull a culture card on me. You know, that is just, you know that this is not, this is not about culture. You lied and you're, you know, anyhow, uh, he's one of the guys that stayed in, you know, has come <laughs> hung in there. And this we're talking three years ago. But I think that's part of it. I uh, prior to that it was tough, Kurt, because as a, a being more of an international church, there was a 30 percent turnover and sometimes uh, per annum and sometimes 50 percent or more of our leadership. One year we had 70 percent of our leadership uh, leave to another assignment uh, or go back home. The change for us was quite a mix because I was actually wanting to resign from the, the leadership team. It, I did, did not feel comfortable with the church's main vision being reaching a particular color group, especially being white. I thought as a, that's fine for, for a parachurch organization or mission uh, initiative. That's great. But for a local church to have a color target in a way that was actually proving to be exclusive, wasn't right. And it, it was interesting because I, t I had been meeting with these two Muslim guys for exploring the Bible. One of them said, can we come to your church? I said, oh, have you ever been to a church before? No, no. And I'm kind of a little nervous because because of the, the amount of whites there and, um, and it kind of not really reflecting maybe culturally what we're uh, after. And they went there and the particular, the message that Sunday was, it was a visiting a guy who was coming back, a returning missionary, who preached on that the church should actually get a senior pastor. It was team led at the time. Uh, should get it, and and the vision I God gave me was that you will have over a thousand whites in your congregation. And so these two are listening to this, and then he proceeded to go on a, quite a Zionistic uh, end time role of Israel. And I'm just going, oh my goodness, this is. Weird. Anyhow, these guys didn't know any better. They thought, oh, cool. It's nice. Yeah, that's what you've done. And then we had a leader's retreat three days later out in the boondock. And I was going to re resign. I'd written out my, my letter and say, God bless you guys. This is what you're doing. But I don't, I don't feel comfortable with it. It was two hours in the dust to drive there. The closer I got to it, the more worried I was because I thought, I'm going to have to leave very early on in this, this retreat. And I don't know how to get back. 
and, and so we met 20 minutes into the thing. We had short worship. And then they said, okay, guys, what's on your hearts? And I got to share about this. I was like, guys, this is just really, and I, I don't feel, I don't feel I'm the right fit for this. And then it was an all white leadership and different ones started going, oh my goodness, that's not the message we want out there at all. We're wanting this to be a, to a missional initiative, not an all white we should have others involved in this mission. And, and now, and they then started recounting all these stories about uh, visiting uh, um, Africans who just wanted to find out. And they just, one guy said, oh, what is the vision of your church? And this, this British teacher went, oh, it's really exciting. We want to reach the colonial whites here. And it was just, it was a shock for them, that that was the message out there. So that um, later on, as people started coming in, they, they in fact, that following week, uh, there was this re real repentance and I got to stay for the entire retreat. The next week I was in the, uh, you know, worshiping my, you know, my eyes were tightly closed and Judy nudges me and she says, look, she points at the, the entrance and there was a line of 30 Africans walking into the church. Wow. And I looked around at the, the other leaders and I kind of, they were wide-eyed going, well, this is cool, but we didn't think it would look like this. You know? Well, it was just a YWAM, two YWAM bases that brought their students to have a look at, at Vineyard in, in Tanzania. But that did mark the break. Uh, you know, it, it changed from then. And it, it was gradual. It wasn't terribly fast. And some did leave as a result. In fact, I was sat down by, by a, a a missionary who said, you know, you have to, statistically, you have to, as an international church, you, a, a white church, you have to make a decision on a seven-year thing, whether you are going to go local or you're going to maintain the vision. And I said, well, I don't know about those statistics, and, and, and I really don't care about those statistics. I think we're going to go with who God brings. We are, we are not bilingual. We, have to, we just felt that the Lord did not have us go bilingual. We're an English-speaking, multicultural church, and that's, that's our, our mandate. But later on, that particular missionary was instrumental in an attempted church split, which God graced so amazingly. It was six, month, six months of hell when these um, senior uh, missionaries tried to, to, and I didn't even know what they were trying to do. I just thought there was a disagreement, but there was uh, behind the scenes. We found out later they tried to get me out of the country. Um, and, and nobody, our, our leadership team was so tight during that time. It was just a graced time. And, um, and the rest, they wanted to take it to the whole congregation. And somehow, I didn't even know they were wanting to do that. It was just, I was so dumb through it all. I found out after everything, after they left, without leaving a mark, basically. So that, that was a big change. And so that's when we actually loosened up. And, and started having kind of the tag team preaching and, and more interactive Sunday, wonderful worship. Uh, it was just, it was just a beautiful thing. So, but that was just something you would never want or would plan, but it had such good fruit. With the element of establishing um, who are we and is what we're doing best serving who we are and what we're wanting to achieve. I think that's the big challenge is what has God called us to as, as a church community? What are we bringing to, to the picture? Peter Drucker said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Who are we? What do we value? What are we trying to do? Those are all cultural issues. This part of the world that we in the West kind of ignore, leave it to its own troubles and whatever, uh, to hear somebody who, what you said, about mile wide inch deep to somebody who's putting roots down in those cultures uh, is just awesome to me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, yeah, for this opportunity. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.